0: Hello and welcome to Lively Fresh Takes, where we talk to pioneers in creative and technology. These are two of the biggest forces shaping today's future, and they've never been more interwined. Understanding the push and pull at the core of this strange relationship is critical to pushing creativity forward. Fresh Takes is where industry pioneers share their stories and ideas, where a community of forward thinkers comes together, and where you can find inspiration and insight into what's coming next in our ever-changing world. And this time, we've got a special series to support International Women's Day. We will be hearing the stories from a number of women in the industry. To quote Elle McCarthy from EA Sports, women don't need to be celebrated or empowered. They need to be the CEOs, CCOs and CTOs. They need to be 50% of the room and more often than not, they need to be able to come to work as their whole selves, making workplaces better for everyone. They need to be bringing diversity of leadership because that drives better business results. I'm really excited to have my next guest, Visha Cadell. Visha was voted best leader in marketing by global women in marketing. Her experience travels across Thinkbox, Google, and Pinterest. She believes in bold creative marketing, as well as investing in the next generation of talent in our industry. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi Mike, thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. You know, it's nice to last time we met, it was live uh, in London, and now it's virtual. So it's always good to be a bit hybrid, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later. Um, So look, anyway, let's get straight into it. Uh, You've had an incredible career to date. um, And, you know, you've been working with some of the biggest brands and most innovating businesses. Uh, Let's hear a little bit about your story, your journey, please
1: i uh, love asking uh, i love this question actually because it gives me a chance to just talk a little bit more about my childhood so i'm just gonna ground us in a bit of context of uh where i've sort of like come from so you know i've come from you know born and bred in east london forest gate kind of had a very tough childhood growing up so you know come from a single parent family of a lot of domestic violence in my um as i was growing up uh see being in an environment like Forest Gate which some people may love it today but when I was growing up there it wasn't exactly the nicest place to be in and that sort of like that was my social environment that I sort of knew and you know it's not a place where you see like creative people and it's not a tech and advertising kind of hub it's you know very much um, a typical Indian uh Pakistani community there um you know and also you know Talking a little bit more about my background, I actually did encounter quite a lot of racism when I was growing up, which I found quite hard, actually, because I was always from London, so I never understood that, you know, it was, you know, tough being in those kind of situations where, you know, you'd have someone say, go back home to your own country or, you know, I was once in McDonald's with a friend of mine, this was when I was a kid, actually, and... Mm. Um, I used to have one of those jobs working in like Sainsbury's and and doing all of that stuff. And, you know, there's a bunch of boys that would just be throwing chips in my face or something like that. So and just calling me names. And that's the environment I knew. You know, that's the kind of space that I sort of like grew up in. Um, so I always found it quite um, when I turned up working in advertising and you know the tech sector kind of felt like i didn't belong here it felt quite unusual to be in this um kind of quite a privileged you know sector actually and you know i started off uh in very like different kind of broadcast roles working at you know mtv worked at, um, my first proper job i would probably call it would be think which is a marketing body for commercial tv it was like a small very very small company with a huge footprint Um, at that time as well and you know so I started working um, there and getting a feel for like real office life and you know working on big projects and that was quite exciting so I've always worked in broadcast, and I really have loved that uh, part of my world Um, and again you know not being from this kind of sector or understanding this sector I kind of just took that job because I needed some money truthfully Hmm. and I stayed I stayed because I was sort of really interested in advertising and how TV ads are made. And I just found this whole area just really interesting. I didn't know what a media agency was. And I learned that I didn't know what a creative agency did or a production company does, like all of those things. Not many people know about those. this this, um, this space of ours. Um, and then, you know, working there, I was there for about 11 years. So clearly liked it a lot. And I worked with yeah, amazing, that's amazing. amazing people, amazing female leaders. Uh Lindsay Clay, who's still there, um as CEO, Tess Alps, um, uh, who was the chairman there. And I decided I wanted to move into tech. So it was time to like make a change in directioning in my career. And I want to sort of like pack on more things. Um, I moved into Google and decided to go big, and that was quite an interesting career choice because it was like I went from a very small company to a huge, you know, organization like um, Google. So I was working there on uh, YouTube ads marketing. I was working with them on their trust and their privacy and reputational part of, um, you know, for Google and for YouTube ads. Um, Such an important thing to have actually Taken that to market at that time, uh, around you know three four years ago, when privacy was like the biggest conversation um, around advertising and just for consumers generally as well. When it came to technology, and then you know then a few years back, I I got a call from Pinterest, and I thought, why not? This sounds interesting. It's just such a lovely brand, and you know that's how I arrived at Pinterest. It was such an exciting opportunity. But I was the first marketing director for business, so. You know, when I turned up, I don't even think I had one direct report, but then I built a team, you know, we started doing lots of great stuff and doing some great work and, and you know, working on how we position Pinterest for business audiences. So that's kind of been my evolution. You know, that's a very long answer, but... <laughs> no,
0: no, 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 it's brilliant. It's, uh, thank you very much for sharing. And I think that's, well, it's very relevant, isn't it? Given, even though this is a pre-recorded show, it's the eve of International Women's Day, isn't it? And... And yeah, we're doing a series of podcasts around that, and so yeah, it's fantastic to hear that journey, and and interesting because it's yes, it's it's two experiences, one, isn't it? Not only from your personal journey and and what you experienced growing up, but then obviously, like you said, it, I, it's funny we we don't often think yeah because we have been in it for so long, right? How privileged we are to work in this industry, yeah. um, and and it's you know. It's interesting because you know I you know, I fell upon this industry as well and uh, and kind of worked my way up into it and you know I don't want to show my age, but in, you know in when I was younger, it was like you couldn't even get into marketing without a degree mm-hmm. um, and and I was lucky to because I didn't have a degree, I managed to uh, be mentored through that whole process, which is kind of something I think we're gonna get into later on, isn't it is if it isn't for the people around us. It is very hard to progress, isn't it?
1: It's so hard, and I love the fact that you used the word that you were mentored along the way because I think having that sponsorship and that support is is really important. And I called out two women in that story yeah. that was telling, you know, Tess Alps and Lindsay Clay. At that time, they introduced me to Wackle, um, which everybody, uh, you, yeah, such an amazing organisation for women um, that are really senior, but. You know, they had an awards program there. To, to your point about learning and you know, adding more onto your skill sets, you know, I won the Future Leaders Award, which is what it was called there. Now it's the mm. Talent Award, and you know, I couldn't afford to do my uh, CIM diploma in marketing, and because of that, no, I was yeah. able to do it. And yeah. you know, they sort of were the people behind the scenes going, "Apply for that award, you'll get it, don't worry." And I was like, mm, "Not sure about that." So when I was lucky enough to win it, I was able to do my that course, um, which I did actually need on my CV at that time when I was applying for jobs. Yeah. Unfortunately, it, yeah. it was one of those things where you did need to have those kind of qualifications no, as well. Um, and what was lovely about that experience is meeting other people along mm. the way and sort of um, almost like opening your aperture and like yes. Yes. exactly, like, maybe I could go there and do that. And I think that was such a game-changing Pivotal moment in my career, actually, to make me go and think about. Well, actually, maybe I would like to move to the tech sector now and see what's yeah. there. So it's all of those things together.
0: That's that's so true, and I know that we're already going down a little rabbit hole. But I, I like this subject matter so much because that's the thing, isn't it? Is it's it's a it, to to develop in your career in any industry, let alone this. It's not only about the skill and knowledge that you hold, but it's also the people that take you on that journey, isn't it? It's, yeah. you know, I, I'm privileged in the fact that, and I often reach out to them and thank them. You know, I've got five people through the course of my career that have helped me, that have elevated me. And and it is, to your point, it's through a recommendation, an introduction, uh, you should go and have a look at this and um, you know, it's uh, it's a very important... It's, it's about getting the mix right, isn't it? It's yeah. about getting that balance of, you know, yes, you need to understand the um, the educational side of it and the skill that's needed to be a marketeer, but also you need to know how the industry works. Yeah. Um, so we'll look, we're going to come back to that for sure, but I, I kind of just want to um, talk about the marketing side of it for a second because you have had this... Uh, fantastic experience of working at some kind of leading uh, some of the leading edge businesses. And do you feel there is a change between the kind of the modern tech sector and traditional companies? So for instance, uh, I've just done a, a great interview um, with Felipe from Corona. Yeah. And you know, they're celebrating 100 years at Anheuser-Busch. And I'm similar to you, I've now worked, although I come from the drink sector originally. I've worked in the tech sector now for 10, 15 years. And it is very different, isn't it? It's it, it's it so how have you how have you found that? How's what's it like trying to build a brand and and work within what are new businesses, aren't
1: they? Yeah. Well, this is interesting. I'd love to hear your take after I say what I what I think. Um look you know, like social media, for example, it is a vertical within the technology sector so essentially it's kind of similar to how you would approach let's say a cpg brand anyway you need to be thinking about the brand in a similar um in a similar way of like how you want it to show up but the nuances are very different i think within social media so you know the business model for Pinterest will be very different to TikTok, TikTok will be very different to Google and very different to Meta. So just understanding how very different they are is then becomes your superpower to understand like how you want to become so different and and resonate with the people that you want to talk to. So there's that one, which is, you know, being the differentiator within um, this very complex uh, verticalization, I say, of social media um, channels as well. Uh, and then there's the other thing as well, which is, you know, the I guess the thing that technology has that's very different to um, something like a traditional brand, um, like the CPG brands that you may have worked with in the past, is that there's an added layer of privacy, trust, building mm. a belief in your brand, that constant work that you have to do on the reputation side is mm. fundamental. And we have to work really hard at that. I think consumers are demanding it. Um, Technology changes people's behaviours. Everybody's online right now. So that's another thing to be concerned, not concerned about, it's it's the nature of where we are right now. Um, So really thinking about how you build trust is so critical, which I'm not sure whether, you know, the person that you ended up speaking at Corona would, you know, have had to think about trust in a very different way. Like we... I would say that in my experience trust is anything from brand safety to anything to uh, I would say you know how people feel consumers feel about a platform Mm. as well so there's Mm. two very different um, different takes on that as well Mm. and what almost like sometimes being this is like a little marketers rant as well you know sometimes people often think about brand building as in my logo looks great and my my you know my color palette looks fantastic brand building is that thing i just talked about it's also trust it's your values is how the people in the business carry those values how yeah. they speak up for the business as well so i think that's another important part of um that particular sector that you need to be thinking about is anything from the CEO communicating the same message to the junior brand manager, it's, it's all, you know, we're a people driven business. So I think those things are another nuance that I would sort of pick up on as well.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. I I totally agree. And I think the thing, interesting enough, it's been quite insightful for me to be doing these podcast shows over the last kind of six months, because uh, it's in answer to your question, the having worked in tech, you know, yeah, uh, you know, I've worked across a broad range from kind of Spotify to Ericsson, and Ericsson actually is 150 years old, I think it is. Yeah. And and I think what I've learned is that you know the principles of creating a brand are the same. To your point, you've you've got to you've got to get your foundations right, and that's actually what Felipe talks about with Corona was. They are now in this lovely situation where they can do um, both purpose and entertainment-led marketing. Yeah. But they had to build their brand in the first three years. They had to go do point of sale. They had to do trade. They had to kind of get the foundations right to then be able to go out. And then, like you said, is um you know the, the great reference point I have always reference is is VW. Is the the danger of old brand marketing was some brands did just hide behind a look and an image. <laughs> and then because of social media, they got found out. Yeah. So we don't have a choice now, but to be very honest to ourselves, which is really beautiful though, because a couple of things from my experience, one was just on the brand building side. I was very fortunate enough. I worked with uh, Virgin for 17 years. And when I went through loads of reorganizations and, um, And it's I I hope I can say this, but when we first started working with them, when it was Virgin Mobile with the old Losinger, it was a very difficult brand to work with. My creative director got really frustrated. But then um, Catapult 10 years later and they redesigned to infinity for Virgin Media. And the brand uh, director was like, this is our brand and you can do with it what you want. And it was such a great moment because it just opened up creativity, not only to partner agencies and stuff, but also to people. Um, and you can see that now. And that that's the kind of the the level of trust, I suppose, to you'll say, and brave, yeah, being brave with your brand, because you yeah, you can't control what people are going to do, particularly on social media. So you, you have to have that honest approach and be able to open your brand up to definition and, and usability. Yeah. So, yeah, yes. I, <laughs> yeah,
1: I love that example because, um, because it's it's recognition that you're talking about, right? It's the consumer mm. recognition. And mm. what I also love that point that you made was around, you're always going to be found out. Like I'm not a big like Twitter user. I'm actually kind of terrified of Twitter because I just feel like someone's going to have a go at me. Yeah. But generally, you will be found out, and I think that is why one thing you know we didn't talk about is data. Audience data is so important. Yeah. Cool. What consumers are thinking and behaving because of the fact that they're online, it's it's easier to have a thing, have your finger on the pulse a little bit more. That does mean marketers have to think very differently about their marketing approach too. So it's it's you know understanding mindset is a very different thing that we've had to embrace. And actually talking about Spotify, I've heard Spotify speak at a couple of events and they talk about mindset quite a lot just because of the way nature of their platform. Pinterest has done this too. I guess Google does it as well, which is why their Google Insights are so powerful. So mindset is becoming such an important thing that we need to start to think about a little bit more. I think. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, this segues very nicely on uh, anybody who think we'd uh, we'd kind of talked about this beforehand, but um, we were very lucky to both attend an event uh, where you and you were part of it, and you brought in a gentleman called Richard Shotton, mm-hmm. um, who was a behavioural science uh, scientist and um, or behavioural science expert. Sorry. And uh, that was really exciting because he was talking about the importance of understanding your target audience and this kind of danger of creating plans that reflect the marketer's own experience instead of the audience, which again, I think is where, you know, know, back in the day, there was that risk, you know, a single creative director or brand owner would be like, this is my opinion and my way of doing things, right? So How how do you advise agencies and and people to navigate that now from your experience?
1: Yeah, I um, really love that point that Richard made and I find anything he says really fascinating Yeah, uh, when it comes to behavioural science, which is like a passion area of mine too. But I think, yeah, I mean, it's really, I find this topic so interesting because there was a point where when I was working in TV, people were saying TV's dead, TV's dead. There was this whole narrative built and it was kind of, you know, Headlines everywhere, then it became the year of the mobile, then it became, oh no, it's not the year of the mobile, now it's going back to TV. No, wait, hold on. It's not because everybody's now going back online because COVID has happened. So we have naturally followed this kind of like ebbs and flows, kind of like a roller yes. coaster ride with um what is actually happening out there and the landscape changes like consistently. So it's hard to keep up, that's for sure. So I guess for us, you know, the way I would advise um with advise agencies, for example, is just, again, I know this sounds kind of boring to say it like this, but trust the insight and trust the data that's coming through from consumers. Those are the, it's the people that we are marketing to that we need to be listening to. Mm. Um, you know, like, you know, TV, for example, is such a powerful medium, but also went through this experience where, you know, people were like, um, agencies were taking them off the plan, uh, plan because they were like, well, nobody's watching. TV right now but then you know when I was at Thinkbox we did a study and it was called TV Nation I think it actually showed that the rest of the nation was watching TV and equally you know we have um there are other platforms that you know this has been a good example as well where you're like you want to show the data of like oh actually for over 400 million people are using the platform so it's it's almost like we do need to look at We need to sort of think outside of our own bubble and look at where people and consumers are. Um, And that might not be by demographics. That might be by, you know, things that people are passionate about, the moments, you know, those kind of big cultural moments that are happening as well that we need to lean on. Um, Of course, it's a hard year for agencies and uh, trust they're going through a really hard time as well this year and navigating quite a lot. So, you know, there is there is tools available there are you know it's kind of the job of the media owners to kind of provide that service to them a little bit more as well so hopefully they will get there and and I guess the last thing I say to that is increased conversation with mm-hmm. the brand that you're working with and it's kind mm-hmm. of okay to a brand should be letting in their agency partner just as much an agency should be asking all the tough questions to get to the right answer because there is the answer there somewhere and um, mm. it's, it's increased conversation and collaboration between those two parties, I think.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think those, t- yeah, collaboration and partnerships are my two favourite words but also two words that I'm very scared of. <laughs> I don't, I, I think they're, well, just because it's easy to say that but it's very hard to actually do it. You know, you, you've got to build that trust, haven't you? and on both sides. And, you know, I'm lucky enough, well, I've been lucky enough to work with some businesses where I've had fantastically open relationships with my clients, um, you know, that's, uh, I think the best one I, I can hero uh, is my life at, uh, at Virgin. You know, have, well, having 17 year history with them kind of proves that, doesn't it? Is, it was be, um, amazing to be able to have that open kind of conversation. But at the same time, the you know, I've also got a confession to make. Um, being a brand experience guy and that lovely word experiential, which I can't stand, you know, I did go through that phase of, yeah, TV's dead, TV's dead. <laughs> um, but you summed it up, um, you know, in a previous uh, role in the fact that it's understanding what is a trend and what's a fad, isn't it? Uh, that's really important. And And I think for me, what I've learned is, and it's funny that we're having to go back to these basics, isn't it? Because this is just the principles of marketing. You go where your audience is and you understand them. I suppose because over the last 10 years with this you know, evolution of technology, we've had to understand that now I remember I, when I first employed my first planner, I was kind of like, why do I need you? And well, actually, you, it was Rania Robinson and um she worked with me for two years and she said a brilliant thing this is like 15 i think 15 years ago and she said mike because you've run your own agency and most of the stuff you've done is through instinct uh, and like not instinct uh, instinct and passion but people want to know what you're saying is the right thing to do so mm-hmm. you've got to back it up with the data so you know great to come up with creativity but but make sure it is built around your audience and not what you just think is a cool thing to do, Mike. And and that was a big learning for me, and and I've kind of invested in it ever since.
1: I love that. Um, she's a smart woman, Rania. Um... She is. <laughs>
0: try working with her. Try, try, yeah, she was in my. Off- oh, that's a that's a different podcast if she would allow us to do.
1: it. That was <laughs> I do love that, and I've actually often talked a little bit more about that. Knowledge is power. Like it's it's very hard for somebody to. Um, not agree with your idea if it's backed up with insight and data and all of that stuff at the moment sometimes um and you know i think people don't really understand marketing and the and the fact that we have you know data analysts everything you know we there is a lot of thought there's a lot of rigor in getting to that great idea and it takes a lot of different types of skill sets and and people to pull that thing together so um unfortunately we don't I think it's, this is a marketer's problem. We don't generally market the marketing and explain that a little bit more. And I think it does start with knowledge is um, your best friend. And the other mm-hmm. thing is also to make sure that you're advocating that the, all the invisible work that you've done behind the scenes to get to that great big idea as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, I love that as well.
0: Well, so look, we talked about this collaboration and partnerships, and like you said, uh, in a previous role, you you had to bring a team. Um, so how do you drive that kind of mission of you know, delivering true collaboration and partnership within a team? And kind of what advice would you give to kind of other leaders in the industry on that?
1: Yeah, I um, I think it's it's always really tough. I took my job when I was working at Pinterest. Um, I was actually, I took it over COVID. Like I never met, I did my interview process oh, wow. all through online. Yeah, it was really weird. Um, did my onboarding online and yet yeah, met everybody else supposed to meet online. So it was quite, it was quite a tough journey in, if I'm honest with you. Um, it took a while. I won't lie because of that um, transition period that I had sort of that, that process that I had uh, to build trust with the team. And as, and I think the re the way I sort of approached it was by letting them in and being really open was the way that I would, um, get to great work. So I was always very open about the vision, the goals, but also um, made sure that I was there for them. So being able to be accessed. So, you know, Slack on email was also important. I empowered people a lot. So it was, um, when I saw them shine, it made, I felt like I was shining. So it felt, you know, there was a definitely a, a, a lovely, almost like a bond built uh, within, within that team that I led. So, and, you know, when I wanted to make sure that they pressed because of that, and when you feel good and when you feel inspired or you, you feel like your boss believes in you, you do great work. And then you also, you know, have this kind of true, you know, work together, collaborate, collaboration to you feel like you can achieve a lot more. So I think there was definitely that kind of team spirit that we built in together. You know, I've, had some hard times, you know, my mum wasn't very well. And I would be so open about the fact that, you know, mum's in hospital, I'm sick, sorry, I can't be here, got to go to the hospital. Okay, she's living with me now. Like I had some real tough times, but I let them in and told them about it. Um, I decided to do egg freezing, which obviously impacted my body um, quite a lot not a lot of people talk about it and I did and I was really open and said sometimes my moods are off and I'm sorry and you know so letting people in quite a lot helped me um, build that sort of bond with the team because there wasn't a lot of business travel and it was you know tough to connect and see people quite a lot so you know you had to do that all on screen so.
0: That's really interesting thank you again for sharing that because it, it's, I've always kind of said, that, well, not even from the personal point of view or the team point of view, but from a work perspective, the thing I noticed during the pandemic was because um, it was, I don't know, I, I, yeah, I've been in this industry for 30 years now, and, you know, I was very fortunate to work in a very creative agency that's still very creative called Exposure. And in those days, it did feel like we were allowed to do more things creatively. And then, you know, I think during the kind of the first recession and stuff like that, barriers were put down and things became kind of very structured and departmentalized and sign-offs and and a lot of brand control as well. But then during the pandemic, it felt like the gloves were taken off and we were allowed to start. I, I hate saying the word taking risks, but we were allowed to be a lot braver, weren't we? Yeah, And what you've just pointed out is we were almost a lot braver to be a lot more honest about ourselves as well, weren't we? And I think that's a really nice thing to kind of highlight that because, yeah, you know, we all joke about it, about, you know, the the daughter or son popping into the background. But I think my teams know my family better now, thanks to, you know, hybrid working than they ever do. You know, my wife often pops in and says, hello, you know, trying to have that happen at the office, you'd have to set up a, pet, you know, a spouse day or family day and yeah. it would be weeks in the development. So it's quite interesting, isn't it? It's like one of the, you know, one of the benefits of kind of hybrid. Um,
1: well, we are humans as well. And you want yes. to, and that's a really important thing to call out that, you know, your team knows your family because, you know, you, if you think about the, the remote model right now, they're like 30-minute calls or a 15 minute stand up And in that time, you need to just get what you need to get done and and go. Um, And quite often, people forget that you're, you know, you're kind of a fun person as well. Mm. You know, Mm. I often get people asking me, oh, okay, you're very different in real life. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's because you're talking to me at the end of the day and it's dark and (laughs) I'm British and I'm grumpy, but I'm actually quite (laughs) fun.
0: I've got to get the tube home. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Um, well, look that that um, the whole remote working. Issue, yeah, we could do a whole other show on that. But you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier was the kind of lack of learning from senior leaders. And again, given the week that or the day that we're celebrating tomorrow, and what we're trying to celebrate with these shows, um, and for me personally as well, you know, I am you know a white fifty-three-year-old CEO. And you know we want more women on board. And uh, so, how can leaders like myself and, and other people, you know, uh, from the top down, ensure that they advocate for women and elevate their voices? You know, just to, uh, there's a, there's a fantastic quote um, that I've used at the beginning of this show, where it's like we it's not about celebrating or you know because that, that comes across, you know that's just patronizing. It's like we're all equal what it's about is creating allies and, and things like that, isn't it? So, yeah, what's your view on that? Give, give me some personal advice.
1: <laughs> yes, I love that <laughs> you me. asked that question because I think it's more important for people to ask those questions. Um, you actually said two things in there, so I'm going to try and address both of them. The first one being learning from leaders. And um, again, everyone's in a remote working environment I remember being in an office listening to the way my boss spoke on the phone and thought okay that's how you behave watching around meetings I picked up how they would email things um email people so that you you pick up like behavioral things from leaders when you're in the office so that's one thing I um I personally was lucky to have um as I sort of grew my career but then obviously being in a remote environment, the way I sort of switched tactics, because I couldn't be in the office with everybody, was actually making sure that we had a discussion after a presentation was done and say, how did you feel about that? Do you want to, should we just talk about it quickly? Do you know what I'd advise you to do, maybe use some slides and maybe present it like this. And I was giving, I was, I was proactively offering feedback and offering advice. Um, and uh, it was always, it was always welcome. I just want to just call out because sometimes people don't like feedback, but it's it's the delivery of it. It's not to size. It's more about like, do you know what? I love what you did, but if you did it like this, do you, want, you could probably like win that room around, or maybe you could try and you know what do you want to think about the like what do you want to get out from this room in that meeting, then I would advise you do this, this, and this. So it was just sort of taking that sort of approach and giving them help. So that's one thing I did.
0: Can I just point something out as well, though, because, and I think I'm cor- uh, correct, but that is such a talent of women, you know, I of being able to be able to communicate like that, you know, this, mm. and that's, that's actually, I, I think, a point I'd just like to raise, which is why there needs to be this diversity range in all teams because you know i I, yeah i I, my business partner in my old agency you know she she used to spend so much time like collaborating with me but then being actually the voice of the business instead of me because she delivered it in such a better way than and and it is it's um my daughter actually might turn around and say that's sexist for even categorizing it but do you agree
1: well, I I do think that it's important for I, I do think women do do it more because they probably haven't experienced a lot of help um, in their time. Like I wouldn't mm. have had that advice, and I know to, and I give I pay forward what I want to receive. So yeah. I often, sometimes, you know, sitting in in this room, shut up my laptop and think, oh, I think I did a good job in that presentation did I? And I want to know whether I did. And I think it's really important for, I want feedback. I think it's the best way to learn. Um, And I think it's important to like pay that forward as well. So um, we don't often, we don't often get it. And actually I do want to, you know, one of the things you talked about was like, how do you advocate uh, women in, in your space and, uh, and also other men as well. But I want to actually share some like, Stats that I found as well, which was from a women in the workplace report finding in 2022, because um, 48% of women leaders said that they switched jobs in the past two years because they wanted to have more opportunities to advance. Uh, 37% of women leaders have had a co worker take credit for their idea in comparison to 27% of uh, men leaders. And women leaders are more likely, two times more likely to be uh, taken or mistaken as junior in comparison to men. So I think when you start to hear that, if you read these stats, you already know what the problem areas are.
0: So, mm.
1: so grounding yourself in stats and what is happening in the workplace is really important when it comes to, like, this is why these amazing reports are out there and I would highly recommend reading them. Mm. And then, of course, I, you know, have interviewed, like, Marianne Segar in the past and she's written a book on sex um, systemic sexism as well. Um, and what that book is talking about is kind of things like this. Other people, pe- women would get men will speak over women to another man, even if the woman is there and she's probably the, the best expert in the room. So these are like um, problem areas that are in the workplace. So the the way I would approach it, and I do this still as well, is give women a seat at the table. You know, mm-hmm. if you see somebody is not being invited to a meeting and I've seen this happen quite a lot. If I've seen um, a female employee that I think should be in the room, I would invite them to that meeting and make sure that they're in the room. Um if you see somebody going quiet, mention their name um, mm. for them. Talk, Ask them if they have an opinion. If they haven't spoken a word, probably because they're an introvert or probably because they don't feel like they fit into that room as well. So create space and and just ask, hey, I'd just love to hear what your opinion is before we close this this close the loop on this conversation. Mm. Um, and the other thing is as well is just making sure that you advocate for women more publicly too. So mm. you know, ask ask them to speak at things and, you know, push them to do it. You know, mm. but seeing that I've done a lot of public speaking over the past three years because it really bothered me that women always said no.
0: Yeah. Oh, to- totally. Yeah. I- I've had that with, uh, with um, asking people to do podcasts. Um, and, and, you know, I, I phoned a-, a couple of people up and said, you know, let's do a podcast together. And their response me, like, really yeah. And then I'm like, 100 percent And what's been brilliant though is ten minutes into the conversation, they've then gone, Oh, actually, yeah, yeah, I will do this. And and it and and they've been brilliant. But I think that's and again, it's you know, I've been in those situations as well in my own businesses where I've walked into a room and you can feel the testosterone. I've even said it publicly. I've just been kind of like, you know, the you know. Yeah, just this, it, it's kind of like we need to open this up more. It's, you know, um, and and so it's it's an important thing to do. So um, thinking about the future and, you know, ha- what are the steps? Because, you know, and I, actually I'm, i try trying to arrange a separate event for this because I, I think it's a really big learning curve for us all about, you know, it's all well and good talking about it, but, but what are the steps that we can do to make sure that there are positive changes in diversity inclusion and and again talk uh, referencing you again how do we make sure this is a trend and not a fad yeah. how do we make sure that this doesn't like oh it's international we quick you know everybody talk about and then you know like you said because yeah you know, women are leaving jobs and it's you know i think yeah rani was telling me that the, the numbers are going down not up
1: it's hard, and it's it's also. And I was listening to a McKinsey um, podcast as well that I sent over to you too. Which is yeah, yeah. You know, thank you for that. And I love the headline: "Women are voting with their with their feet," because women do, yeah. do a lion's share of the DNI commitments and the work. And the DNI commitments actually meet, it's. it's it's all about helping people perform better it gets to better great work and that's the invisible work that doesn't get recognized on performance reports or by your bosses of that additional work that you do at the core job and I think that's a bit of a problem and I think we need to try and make sure that DNI is accommodated into um, performance reviews moving forward and actually taken very seriously as well and it shouldn't just be women it should be men as well and The other thing i'd also say and you know this has been my experience with working with i do a lot behind the scenes on dni that's been my like how do i fix things versus um speaking on panels and things like that i actually you know started women at emir when i was working at pinterest and then also when i became the exec sponsor of the global group too and when i was sitting with the leads the one thing i was talking to them about was it's very hard to engage Men into the conversation, even though there are brilliant allies out there like yourself, and it's what we really need to do is think about DNI in a very different way. So in the past, it's always been about campaigning. Of course, it's and that should still happen, and it's been about um sometimes even been an apologetic apologetic version of DNI of like, hey, look at us, don't forget about us, we're the communities that matter. But right now, we need to make sure that we're connecting DNI to business growth, and in this economic climate that we're in, which is a tough challenge for everyone, where at the moment everyone is working really hard with tinier budgets and, and things like that. It's the same thing with, with the DNI efforts as well. We, it's, it's connected to business growth. And what company doesn't want to grow their business as well? So yeah. I think I can give you another. There was another um, study that found that uh, diverse management teams have 19% higher revenues due to innovation. And it's not just the management team alone, it spreads across the brand. And that is all down to the fact that they've thought about diversity from communities, people of color, and they've thought about diversity from as, as well as the gender parity that we have as well, but also diversity of thought. And I don't think that's often talked about enough, like how do you make sure that you're being inclusive in bringing people in in remote uh, conditions. You can't exactly pop over to somebody's desk or and have a conversation with them. You might be in different time zones. So mm. thinking about your mindset, again, in terms of how you ask opinions of the right people and make sure that right stakeholders are in the room too, means that not everybody that looks the same makes the same decisions, but you're mm. actually bringing in more opinions um into that decision making process as well so i think those things are important too
0: that's that's really good look i've got to uh, sorry i'm going to go off piece but why you said men why are we difficult to broach on that subject what's cuz this is this is very close to my heart is i you know like you know as an agency you know you, you, we've all got to do our own marketing and i'm doing this show and i'm having this conversation yeah but i'm really interested in it because it, it is a challenge for me. It, it's, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, and, and so what, what why? how do we put our barriers up? What are those barriers? That, like, if you don't mind, sorry,
1: I'm no, throwing that one this, into the mix. This is a good conversation because I've also, also thought about this too. It's like, but why? And I think, I guess my, my assumption is that a lot of men don't know where they fit in, how yeah. they can help. They don't want to pay. There's a difference between paying lip service and there's a person that tries to like, um, you know, uh, support and and there's advocacy. But what if you were the person developing the strategy, not the person receiving the strategy? What if you're the person helping to execute the strategy? So I think, you know, maybe as um, and it depends on the time and commitment that you can offer, Mm. um, you know, don't just start caring about increasing women in the workplace just because you've just become a new father. Maybe yeah. have a think about what your business goals are, what you want your business to stand up for, what your brand needs to represent, and then go mm. in and build it into the strategy and do the work with the women because they're mm. all doing it by themselves right now. Mm. Uh, they, and and I think if the more collaboration we can have, the more that we can have progression. And it's going to take a long time to get there unless men come in the room too. Yeah.
0: And I think, like you said, is... That the important factor that I've got out of this as well is it's that importance of the senior roles as well is that stats that um, you know you know sometimes men will talk over women or will talk to the man in the room. It, it's just God archaic to think that is that is the way, isn't it? But but I suppose we we've been programmed that way as well, haven't we? So we're trying to reprogram ourselves, aren't we?
1: Mm i agree yeah and i've seen i think the more awareness you raise on it the more it becomes um you unlift that unconscious bias that you do do that too and Mm. i think it's okay for somebody to send somebody a private email or put some time and say look in that meeting you did speak over me and i'd really love for you to just wait until i finish to make that point or personal non-favourite of mine is when you've shared an idea back to that point about credit and this has happened to me a lot where you share a great idea and then somebody goes in and wraps it up and they basically just say your idea but just finishes it at the end and it's like oh you did a great job there and I was just like literally just said what I said like and then at that point you just think oh forget it let it go so that oh, a bit too.
0: that's cool oh god I'm <laughs> cringing sorry really cringing um the yeah, sorry, it's making me think of all the things that I might do wrong. Um, the so yes, yeah, so uh, I, uh, God, I, I'd love to. Con- it's well, we're talking about other things anyway, so maybe we can continue this conversation. So, unfortunately, I've got to start. I've got two more questions, just um, and um, about you know, you've actually been in this industry over an incredible constant state of change and evolution like it, it, it's phenomenal what's what's happened isn't it and so how with all of this going on with you know more transparent ways to build a brand see i'm summary what, what you've just said but um more transparent ways to do, be a brand but also to for inclusion and diversity it's you know how where are we heading as an industry what what's what's your feeling on what are we going to see in 2023 and and beyond
1: I think, um, I do feel like this is the, I've said this before, like it's the year of the market. This is the marketer's moment right now. It's a marketer's moment to really do more with less um, and think about insight in a very different way. Think about um, how you squeeze like every penny out budgets that you have because marketing budgets have declined. And this is, Mm -hmm. um, but we still want to do great creative work and it is possible. So I think this is a year that I think data is going to start getting sexy again and people are going to get really excited about what you can do with it. I don't think it's been, you know, I judged uh, the DMA awards, for example, and it was sometimes quite a struggle to find like, what is that golden, you know, golden piece of work that I'm just going to get excited about. And that's uh, kind of just says a lot about where the industry is right now, where it comes to um, how they approach insight, uh, customer insight, audience data. So I think we, I, I know the recession is hard. We are seeing, we are seeing a lot of, um, experts telling us where they think it's going. I think marketers need to like keep the chin up, try and make sure that they are focused on the future and keep doing the job that they are here to do. Like our jobs are to inspire people, our jobs are to produce great creative work. So we need to just focus on, you know, keep your eye on the prize and, and focus on that. And it's it's unfortunate that this is not the year that a lot of people be playing around with test budgets and be t- taking more probably more safer options but i mm. think within safer options you can have innovation so i think you know yeah. we remember our skill sets and why we're here i think it's really possible
0: no definitely definitely thank you for that and i'm gonna ask you to do one last summary as well because you, yeah this has been a fantastic podcast thank you so much um i've personally learned something and so hopefully our, our listeners will and You've clearly faced challenges and obstacles along the way. So, what um, what can you share? What are the lessons have you learned, and what advice to the aspiring kind of marketers and, and business leaders out there? What, what 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 should we be looking out for and doing?
1: Um, so, I'll share three things that I really um, have been thinking about quite a lot. The first is always be kind. So it doesn't matter how big your team size is or how big your marketing budget is. It's always think about the type of person you are and the impact that you carry and how you affect people um, because people want to work for good people. Uh, the other thing is, is to remember, it's not always about you. So mm-hmm. my proudest moments, like I was calling out, is when my team shines, I feel like I'm shining. So mm-hmm. you know, it's never, it's not always about you. And the last thing I would say is just ask questions. I think, you know, no matter how senior you are, (laughs) you won't know everything. I mean, I'm not a finance expert. I'm not, you know, I'm not creative director. I'm not a salesperson either. So, you know, and I think that's why we carry a lot of imposter syndrome in the room. We don't feel like we can ask the questions, but be curious. I think the smartest people I've sat in a room with ask the curious questions and they pressure test those decisions because they've asked those curious questions because that's how you get to the, the the right decision, I think. That's my three things. Yes.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, that's a drop the mic summary as far as I'm concerned. Thank you very much. This has been really great. Uh, thanks so much for sparing the time. Thanks so much for uh, giving, you know, sharing your personal journey with us. I think that was lovely. And, um, and I certainly got a lot out of it. So uh, thank you and hopefully see you on another one because I think we've got loads of stuff more to talk about. <laughs>
1: definitely, definitely. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: Oh, good. Great. Thanks. See you later. Bye bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that show as much as I did. I got some real personal uh, insight from that, which is fantastic. If you did, then please like and share and join us on the next one. Thank you very much. Goodbye.